turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. When we dismiss those children's church, those babies, you just clap for them. Especially the mamas. All the mamas like, bye baby, bye baby, bye baby. Mama's going to be in here in big church. We're continuing our sermon series as you turn to the book of the Gospel of Luke. We're continuing our sermon series uh, called Begin Again. And because uh, the truth is, if we're being honest, many of us somewhere, somehow, we've lost our grasp on a childlike faith. Somewhere, somehow, something's happened and we've slipped, we've drifted away from having a childlike faith. And where we begin, where we get this from is the story where Jesus, they're bringing babies, they're bringing children to Jesus, and all of his disciples are like, no, 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 don't bring them to Jesus. Jesus, you know, he's way too busy. Leave Jesus alone with these kids and the babies and all of that. And Jesus didn't like that. And Jesus was like, no, 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 let the children come to me. As a matter of fact, look in your notes. Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And we've been talking about there's some things that children just naturally understand, right? That a child just intuitively understands that God is good, right? That God loves them, that God is with them, God is for them. Children just naturally understand these things. And then eventually maybe something happens. Maybe a prayer goes unanswered or some bad thing happens and maybe they begin to question or doubt. But until something like that happens... Almost all of us, if you remember back to that time where you were a little child, you had this childlike faith that God was good and that he loved you and he was with you and he was for you. I mean, you just had it in your DNA. But somewhere along the way, we kind of let that slide. This morning, what we're talking about is this idea of forgiveness. Now, children get it. Children understand forgiveness because when they get in trouble, most of them, many times, their little world stops. And everything is kind of, that relationship has been separated from mom and dad. And, and they go into this, uh, maybe, if they, maybe you send them into timeout. Or maybe they get, uh, get a whooping. Uh, maybe they get in trouble in some way. And when that happens, right, they just want everything to be restored. Uh, they want a hug. They want to know that everything is going to be okay. And when a little child goes up to their mama and they say, Mama, I'm sorry. And that mama looks at that baby child and she says, Baby child. I forgive you. That child believes her, doesn't he? Doesn't she? That child believes, yes, I have been forgiven. Everything is right in the world now, right? Look at this next slide. A child will simply believe when it comes to God, God forgives me. They just believe it with that childlike faith. Matter of fact, on the count of three, I want you to say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. God forgives me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 in your note says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says clearly that God forgives us and he purifies us from all unrighteousness when we come to him for forgiveness. It's not automatic, but when we come to him for forgiveness. So this morning, I want to lay a foundation briefly of what it means that we are forgiven by God. What does that mean? How does God forgive? Number one, write this down. God completely takes away all of our sin. God takes away all of our sin. All of it. He just takes it away. As a matter of fact, and look in your notes at Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
I mean, that's amazing that when I confess my sins, that's wonderful good news, that it's not that he stops looking at it or he chooses to ignore it necessarily. He completely detaches me from my sin as far as the east is from the west. That's incredible. But not only that, number two, write this down. God completely forgets my sin. He completely forgets your sin. He forgets all about it. That's what the Bible teaches us in Isaiah uh, chapter 43, verse 25. God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Here is the omniscient, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful creator of the universe. And you know what he does when you come to him and humbly confess your sins? He chooses to forget it. And he doesn't pretend forget it like we do sometimes. He for real forgets it. He just completely, and sometimes the devil gets you to start feeling guilty. You begin feeling bad for some old sin that you've already asked God to forgive you for. And you got kind of that cloud of kind of almost like just depression and guilt. And you come before God and you're like, God, will you forgive me for this? And then God's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've already forgotten it. And it's time for you to forget it. Two. See, God isn't like us. I, I mentioned this in the first service. That this last week, I kind of had this thing that happened. And it wasn't a big thing, right? But it's this little kind of interpersonal conflict, okay? And it was kind of gnawing at me. And I realized I was mulling it over. I was chewing on it a lot. I was thinking, why'd that happen? Why'd they do that? And what did I do? Why did I? Did I? Well, maybe it's my fault. What did, what did, and I was just running it over in my mind over and over again. See, God's not like us. See, we, when, uh, we remember when somebody does us wrong. We rehash when somebody does us wrong. We tend to remember all the bad things that people have done uh, to us. But God isn't like that. When we confess it, he forgets it. His word tells us, and we need to believe it with a childlike faith. We think that, well, look at this next slide. We think that God is like this old typewriter. Now, for those of you under 40, that's a typewriter. Amen? That's what they look like. It's kind of like your MacBook, but without the Mac and without the book. Amen? But listen, what if you made a mistake, if you were typing away and you made a mistake back in the olden days, and if you made a mistake, what would you have to do? You'd have to take some whiteout liquid paper, right? It comes that little bottle about the, the size of a, a fingernail polish, had the little brush. You take the little brush out and you would white out your mistake. You would cover it up. Then you... And you would blow on it, right? And then when it dried, you could type over it and just keep doing what you're doing, right? But the truth is, you knew it was there, didn't you? I mean, you whited it out. You covered it up. But anybody who looked at that paper could see that the mistake was there. I mean, you covered it up. But it's obvious a mistake had been made, and it was right there. Anybody who saw the paper would know that. Somehow, we've convinced ourselves uh, that God forgives us kind of like whiteout. What I mean is this, that when you sin, when you mess up, when you blow it and you come to God and you say, God, please forgive me, that God, what he does is he just kind of whites it out. A little liquid paper <laughs> blows on it and it dries. But you know it's still there and he knows it's still there. And it can be scratched off any time to show you where you messed up. A lot of times that's how we think that God forgives us, but God doesn't do that. Right? Matter of fact, it's 2019. What do we use in 2019 instead of whiteout? Look at this next slide. We use the delete button, man. And when you delete it and you save it, it's gone. 
Okay? It's gone. You come to God and you say, God, I, I repent. I turn from my sin. God, I want you to forgive me. God says, delete. You say, God, I took something that doesn't belong to me. God says, delete. You say, God, I cheated on my taxes. God says, delete. God, I've got lust in my heart. God says, delete. God, I spent some time gossiping and I know that's wrong. And God says, delete. He wipes the browser history of your shame forever and ever. And it's gone as if it never existed. He doesn't just cover up your sin so he can bring it back up every once in a while. He gets rid of it forever. No trace. Children live this way. Like I said, when, you come to, when a child comes and says, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And you say, yes, they believe it. Children understand immediate and simple, and they can move on. But it's us adults. We tend to carry that dark cloud of unforgiveness with us everywhere we go. And then what happens is when you haven't forgiven yourself, you can't forgive anybody else either. And so we go to God and we confess our sins. But to be honest, a lot of times we walk away and we don't feel forgiven. Why don't we feel forgiven? Because we have this deep, look at this next slide. Write this down. We naturally drift towards law instead of grace. We naturally drift towards law instead of grace. Now, what do I mean by the law in the Old Testament, right? If there were rules by which if you're going to have a relationship with God, you had to keep these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules and you had to keep them perfectly, which nobody could do, which was kind of the point of the law, right? To show you that you weren't perfect, that you don't measure up, that you can't keep that high of a standard on your own and that you needed a savior. You couldn't keep the law. What you needed was grace. So Jesus came, fulfilled the law so that he could save you and redeem you and give you his grace. But for some reason, though, we live under grace. We default back into this law mode where we think you got to earn it. You got to earn it. And the reason why, the reason why I believe that we do this, we default back into the law mode is because somewhere deep inside, we think people ought to get what they deserve. Are you thinking about other? You don't think about yourself necessarily, not consciously, but you definitely think about other people. When people do something terrible, you want them to pay for it, right? When people do something wrong, you want them to pay for it. When Alabama's playing football, you want them to pay for it. Amen? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. We'll pray for y'all later. Listen, we think that people should get what they deserve. And so, because we think that people should get what they deserve, deep down inside, we think we should get what we deserve. And when we come to God, God, forgive me. I turn from my sin, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And we come to God, and we say, God, forgive me. Deep down inside, we feel unforgiven because we think that we deserve something else. And the truth is, you're right. You don't deserve forgiveness, and you don't deserve grace. But God has promised to give you both. And what we want to do is live under this constant awareness. Well, look at this next slide. This awareness that we're under grace. It is the life-changing constant awareness of what I have been given in light of what I deserve every morning, every hour, every moment. It's knowing that you have been forgiven, man, for everything, and God has forgotten about it. I mentioned this last week, but even on our very nature, we're not good at receiving. In other words, like you're okay with helping somebody else, but you, you would never ask for help. You're okay with giving to help someone, but you would never ask, right? We just, we have a hard time with that. If you go out to eat this afternoon, you go, eat, go out to eat to lunch with somebody, and they pay the bill, and they just insist, and they pay the bill, you'll try to pay the uh, tip, won't you? I got the tip. All right, you got the bill. I got the tip. Why is that? Right? 
Well, because you're defaulting back to the law instead of grace. That's just how we are. We just cannot accept a free gift. We think that we've got to add something to it. Look at this next slide. God's grace plus anything you bring isn't even grace at all. Not even a little bit. God's grace is fully sufficient. Either God paid it all, either Jesus paid it all, or he paid it not at all. One or the other. He either paid for all of your sins or he paid for none of your sins. Either your sins are covered by his grace, his mercy, and forgiveness, or they're not covered at all. You don't have a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of grace, and then a whole lot of you and your own effort in keeping the law. It doesn't work. It's never worked. It's never going to work. You've never been able to keep the law anyway. You break promises. You break promises to yourself. What exactly is it about seeing Jesus on the cross that you think that you're good enough to ask? to it. How dare we somehow think that we measure up to adding to the sacrifice of the Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God without sin. And we think we could take his sacrifice and add something from Marcus and make it better. Who do we think we are? You can't. And it is an ugly, prideful sin to think that you can. Grace and forgiveness. He offers it freely. Don't dare dirty up his sacrifice by bringing your junk to it. Some of you, you're struggling with this reality. You don't really understand that you're forgiven. Completely free of sin. It just doesn't make sense. You don't really believe it. Maybe deep down inside, it all just seems too good to be true. Well, it is too good to be true. I want to talk to you about this woman. All right, there's this woman in Scripture. We talked about her uh, a few months ago on our Wednesday night uh, Bible study. Y'all need to come to church on Wednesday night, 6.30 Bible study. It's awesome. And uh, Not the Bible study, but the Wednesday nights are awesome. Anybody go to church on Wednesday night? Can I get an amen? Amen. Wednesday nights really are special here at Grace. But listen, we, we talked about this woman on a Wednesday night. And what it is, she's, a, she's probably a prostitute, right? She's a, a sinful person, probably a prostitute. And she's, uh, Jesus has saved her, has redeemed her. And she finds out that Jesus is going to be at the house of this Pharisee named Simon. Right now, a Pharisee is a super religious person who would basically claim to keep the law. They didn't keep the law and their hearts were far, far from God. They had no clue, no concept about the grace and the forgiveness of God. None at all. And so, but she hears that Jesus is going to be at this house. So she goes to the house and she busts in uninvited and she falls at Jesus' feet and she's weeping so much that she's literally covering his feet with her tears. And so she lets her hair down and begins drying his feet with her hair. And then she busts out this alabaster flask, this alabaster jar of perfume, she breaks it open and she pours it out on his feet. And Simon the Pharisee, I mean, she's anointing the anointed one. But Simon the Pharisee sees this and he's thinking to himself, you know, this is breaking all the rules. See, because rules are more important than people. This is breaking all the rules. This shouldn't happen. And he says, if basically, he says, if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know what a big fat sinner this woman is and would never allow her to be here like this, touching him. He's wrong. Now, she was a sinner, but now she's saved by grace. And when we realize day after day that we've been saved by grace and by the goodness of God and that we can be completely forgiven, it'll change our lives. But how would it? Write this down. Grace will change your heart. It'll change your heart. We see that in the life of this woman. 
The things that you desire, the things you think are important, the things that you value, the things that you worship, absolutely change the moment that you're confronted with the grace of God. Now listen to what Jesus said after Simon was saying this, you know, to himself. Jesus says this in verse 44. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water. Well, by the way, let me rewind. He said, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Let me, let me say, no, Simon didn't see the woman. All he saw was her sins. He didn't see her at all. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying the evidence that she has been forgiven, that she's been redeemed, received the grace of God, the evidence is that she has a lot of love. Simon, and the fact that you don't have any love is evidence you haven't been forgiven of anything. Right here in scripture, he's giving us a clear indicator. Have you ever known ugly, nasty, mean old Christians who don't love nobody and nothing? They hate everything and hate everybody. You know what? They're not Christians. God's word says, For she loved much. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Where there's great love, there's great forgiveness. And where there's a lack of love, trust me, friend, there's a lack of forgiveness. She gets gets it. She understands how expensive her sin is and how worthy God's grace is and how worthy the Son is. God's grace will change your heart. Write this down. But grace will also change your life. It'll change your life. I don't know about you, and you're here this morning. I don't know what chain of events happened in your life to bring you to the place that you are this morning. But as for me, I promise you this. In my my high school yearbook, it doesn't say Marcus Kelly, most likely to be the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. It didn't say that. God will change your life. Now, she poured out this alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus. It's probably the most valuable, most expensive expression of worship in all of the New Testament. When she poured that perfume out on Jesus' feet, that was $45,000 in today's money, roughly. $45,000. That's how valuable she saw Jesus. And yet sometimes us, when the offering plate comes around, we think how little can we give and still feel good about it. But she saw Jesus as valuable. Luke 7, verse 37, look at it. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. What I want you to see is this. What you may not realize is the significance of this jar, this flask of oil. Now, when I say red light district, you know what I mean, right? You understand, uh, this, uh, when, uh, the red light indicates that, hey, there's a certain kind of business operating in this area, Correct? Now, in her day, they didn't have a red light district, but what they had was expensive jars of perfume. And what they would do is they would use this jar of perfume. This is basically her marketing budget. This let everybody know when they smelled that perfume, when they walked down the street and they smelled that fragrance, that smell comes rolling out. What it was saying is open for business. Open for business. That's what she has here, and that's what she poured out on Jesus' feet. 
And I hope you see this because of the forgiveness and the the grace of God that she received. She's not only pouring out an extravagant gift, an expensive act of worship, but she's declaring in this moment she will never be a prostitute again. Why? Because God's grace has changed her life. Look at this next line. She's pouring out her opportunity today to sin tomorrow. Pouring it out. Because when grace hits you, you're never going to live the same. You're not going to make the same choices because grace is that valuable. It propels us in our response to move forward in what God has given us in his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Why? Because God really is good. God really does love you. God really is with you. God really is for you. And God really will forgive you if you come and ask. That's what the gospel is. Simple, childlike, absolutely too good to be true with our limited minds. But it's true. And the only way that you can receive it is like a child, man. Because he loves you and he's with you and he's for you and he is good. And when he tells you, when I forgive you, you're forgiven, you can trust the fact that you are forgiven, man. Forgiven forever. That is the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we just we thank you for your love. God, that you freely give to us. God, we're so grateful that while we were sinners that you died for us. Lord, we repent for oh, making it more complicated than it has to be. Making it so hard. Thinking we've got to jump through hoops to be forgiven. Lord, help us to truly understand what you've given us. Lord, may we never live unchanged by your grace. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Guys, at the end of this invitation this morning, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper as a church family. And it's really important that this morning, during this invitation, before you take the Lord's Supper, that you don't take it in an unworthy manner. Don't come and take the Lord's Supper like with unrepented of, unconfessed of sin in your heart and your life. Don't, it would be better for you not to take the Lord's Supper. And so this morning, after the invitation, after all of that, is when we'll take the Lord's Supper. And if you know that you've got some issue that you don't deal with right now, I want to encourage you, don't take the Lord's Supper. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to be watching. But I promise you, it would be better not to take it than to come and take it in some kind of unworthy manner. During this invitation this morning, do business with God. Ask God to inventory your heart, your life. And see if there's anything, any area that you need to get right with him. Keep short accounts with God. But this morning, as we do go into our invitation, those of you that know that you're saved, you're aware that, you know, I'm I'm saved. God's spirit confirms my spirit. I'm a child of God. I know that I've been saved. I've been forgiven. But somehow you don't, you're not living in the reality of God's forgiveness. And your prayer this morning is, is pretty simple. It's God Help me. Give me the strength to choose to believe that I am completely forgiven. That I am wholly loved by you. God, that I can live the rest of my life in response to and in the awareness of your grace. Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hands up all over the congregation. I want to pray for all of us. No more laws. No more unbiblical rules. Just the grace of God. Father, we do repent and ask for your forgiveness, God, when we live as if we've been never been forgiven. God, I just pray that your grace would just wrap around our life and just change us and, 
and move us to be grateful for what you've given us. God, that we may live all of our life as a response to your extravagant, undeserved, unmerited gift. Lord, thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. Lord, help us to walk in that victory. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment. Those of you that you're here this morning, you're not sure that you're saved. You don't really know that you've been forgiven. You don't know. You never come to that point where you really humbly came before God and just confessed your sin and repented and turned from it. Look up for just a moment. Could it be that it just seems too good? Could it be that it just seems too easy? Like there has to be a catch, right? Pastor Marcus, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been, what I've seen. You don't know what I think, how I feel. It can't be that easy for God to forgive me. It is. Think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross hanging right there beside Jesus, dying. He had nothing to bring, nothing to offer. He's hanging on a cross. Look at it, Luke 23, verse 42. The thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. He didn't have any expensive perfume to pour out. He couldn't give a big offering, right? He, he couldn't wash Jesus' feet with his tears and dry it off with his hair. There was nothing that he could do to somehow earn Jesus forgiving him. There was nothing he could even do to thank Jesus for forgiving him. His life's over. This is the end of his story on earth. And he just simply says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Empty hands, asking for grace. How did Jesus respond? Look at the next verse. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Is it really that easy? Yes. Is it that simple? Yes. What does it require? Childlike faith. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No looking around. Christians, pray for your neighbors. Be respectful of those around you. You're here this morning, and you know that you need to receive the grace and forgiveness of God. That once and for all, you need to nail it down, man. And I just want to pray with you. Listen, you know we don't single people out here at Grace. I will not drag you forward. I will not embarrass you in any way. We don't do that here. But if you're here this morning and you know that you need God's forgiveness right now, you need Jesus to save you and to forgive you of all your sins right now. Why don't you slip your hand up for just a second? All over, all over. I see you. God bless you. I see you. I see you in the back, in the front, on the side. Listen, right there in your seat, man. I mean, it's this simple. And it's not these words. It's not repeating exactly what I say. But you can pray a prayer like this and simply ask him to forgive you. Like the thief on the cross. Empty hands. Just maybe you could say, Father God, I'm a sinner. But Lord, I turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. Your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me, I surrender to all of you. I don't bring anything, Jesus, just me and my sin. Lord, forgive me. Save me. Save me, Jesus. The Bible is clear. It says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, shall be saved. Did you call on them? Is it that easy? Is it that simple? Yes. Did you ask him to save you? Did you mean it? He saved you. You've been forgiven, redeemed forever. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you just prayed that prayer. Maybe you've prayed that prayer at another service here at Grace or at some other point in time, but you've never followed through in believer's baptism. The first thing that our good Jesus asks us to do as believers is to follow through in believer's baptism. To come publicly and not be ashamed of him. I want to encourage you to do that. You come this morning, we'll schedule that time for you. We'll pray with you and rejoice with you in what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. You know that you got baptized at some point, but maybe you know that you got saved later on. You need to get that in the right order so you can have a clean conscience before God. Is God calling you to do that? Be obedient. Do what God has called you to do. Maybe you're here this morning and Grace Baptist Church is your church home. You just haven't made it official yet. You know this is your church family. This is where you belong. This is where God is calling you. And it's time to put on a jersey, be a part of the team, serve God right here at Grace, grow roots right here at Grace. Is God calling you to Grace? Is this your church family? I want to encourage you this morning to come and make it official. But most of all this morning, and as we go into our time of invitation, and before we take the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to do whatever you need to do this morning to get right with God. If you're a believer and you've got sin that you need to deal with, deal with it now. If you need to follow through in baptism, you come. If you need to join the church, you come. Whatever it is this morning, I want to encourage you to do business with God. Why? Because he's that good. He deserves our very best. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. This is your invitation. And I pray that your people will use it for their good and your glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Don't wait. Just as I have without one